Uh, let's continue with the book of Galatians. We have a, 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 an amazing uh, conversation today as we continue looking at the difference between the law and living under grace. We're in the book of uh, Galatians chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to be in verse 15 last week. I started verse 10 and ended in verse 14. And today I want to keep that conversation going. And let us talk about the un unchanging nature of God's promise, His covenant through uh, with Abraham, which now follow in Jesus Christ. This is verse 15 to 18. It says, brethren, everybody say that with me. Say, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only, it is only a men's covenant or promise, was what the word covenant mean, means, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or takes away or adds to it. Now to Abraham and to his seed, everybody say with me, seed, where the promise is made. He does not say in two seeds as of many, but as of one into your seed, who is Christ, who is Christ. And I say, and this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul or take away the covenant or the promise that was confirmed before by God in Christ, and it, sh and it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. All right, let's dissect this. Let's see what's happening here. So first of all, Paul establishes the principle that this, though this is a covenant among men, it stands firm. And no one can add to it. No one can take, so, take away from it. Paul points out that it that it is a covenant among men, but since it is more than that, it is a covenant from God, it is certain to stay. But first of all, let us not miss the very first word that I ask you to echo with me, where he said, brethren. We know that this, the whole idea, the whole point of the book of Galatians is to confront the people of Galatia who are turning away from the Lord. They're moving away from God. And Paul's goal of every conversation he has is for them to come back to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that God's, for God so loved us that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. He died, but on the third day he rose again for all his glory and all his victory in Jesus' name. Now he's at the right hand of the Father. He is, he is interceding for us. So we know that all of these conversations are very controversial. They are very uh, uh, dangerous and difficult for some people to understand. But he always acknowledges that though I'm having this difference with you and you might not like it, I want you to know that you are my brothers. You are my brothers. Moms in the house, how many of you? You've always correcting your children and saying, but sons, you guys are brothers. But, but sweetheart, you guys are sisters. You guys are siblings. You cannot, though you might not like each other right now, you're still family. You're still one, uh, one of the same. See, church, when we have differences, when we have these conversations, when we belong to different political parties, we got to understand that we are still brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and his family. Now, Genesis 20, Genesis 22, 18, which is what uh, Paul is referring to. Remember, in the book of Galatia, he's using a lot of the Old Testament, especially here in chapter 3, uh, verse uh, uh, 18, which, pro which God promised Abraham that his seed would be the blessing to many, many nations. Now, Paul 
makes emphasis that the word seed is in the singular and is not in the plural. And the point is made, and he makes it, that this seed is Jesus Christ. How many of you said amen to that? Paul was referring to that one specific descendant, which is Christ. And if you know the genealogy, that's a big word, which just simply means if you know the family tree from Abraham all the way to Christ, it is, it is a linear genealogy. It is a de- Christ is a descendant from the seed of Abraham. So he says, for if the inheritance of, is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to, to Abraham by promise. See, if the inheritance offered to him was based upon our good behavior, we won't get it. We won't get it because it depends on our doing and we are messed up people. But because this was a promise, this was God's promise, it stand to be sure and to God be the glory that this promise was not a maybe depending on how you and I behave. No, this was not a maybe depending on our good morals and our good behavior. No, this was a promise. God gave, everybody said with me, gave. God gave, everybody said that again. God gave this to Abraham as a promise. By the way, the, by the, way, the, the word gave in the Greek is the word charis. Do you know what that means? It means grace. Look at your neighbor and tell them it means grace. Go ahead, look at somebody else and tell them it means grace. See, God's giving to Abraham was this free giving of grace. Somebody say amen to that. And, and, and by the way, the word is also in the, in the perfect tense. It's in the present tense showing that this gift of grace is permanent it's from before it's from today and it will be forever this promise is for you as well happy mother's day it is a free gift of grace to you what are we talking about pastor what what is this what are we talking about well what we're talking about is the promise of the salvation that comes through jesus christ and praise be to god for that promise who came down as a baby in a manger, to show the earth and to take away, I should say, to take away the sins of this world, both then and now and the future until his return. Amen. If you're just joining us, we are talking about this deep, deep conversation between living under the law and living under grace. This, this topic that, that, that just brings these two topics at hand and we compare the two. So let us continue this conversation to bring clarity because i am telling you and i told you this last week if this book of galatian has not yet made you rethink your traditions your religious you know stern hard opinions about our faith then you should start owning your faith and asking those questions on wednesday nights we have a series right now with our young people junior high and high school, uh, and we're talking about the topic of doubt. And why are we talking about it? Because, see, when you doubt, you're bringing some good questions. Most of the time, young people, children, uh, junior high, young adults, they come to church because it's a routine. Uh, it's a Sunday, so it's a routine. Uh, sometimes they come on a Wednesday, but, but, but more, more likely than not, it's more of an obligation. 
I can't stay home alone, so, so I need to be there. Uh, I can't drive and go somewhere else, so I need to go where my parents go. Uh, I don't pay rent, so I need to obey my, my tenants. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so the statistics is, are, are so scary because by the age of 18, 70% of our young people will leave the church. And the reason why they'll leave the church is because they never owned their faith. It never became their belief. It never became theirs. It was mom and dad's. They always carry doubts everywhere they go. I ask my children, do you believe what you believe? Do you have any questions? You got to bring your questions. You got to bring your doubts. You got why? Because when you questioned, you will find the answers. See, a long time ago, people believed that the earth was flat. Long time ago. You guys remember that? Yeah. Earth was flat. So what did people do? They were scared. They were afraid. They never traveled the beyond. Why? Because they say, man, it's flat. So eventually we're just going to drop in, into the eternal abyss of darkness. And so they lived in fear, never knowing that there was another part of the world that they could venture. But someone doubted and said, wait a minute, is it really? Is it really? Is it really flat? And what did they do? They went out and they questioned and they wonder. And those questions and that wonder, they, it brought proof. So we're talking to our teenagers and I'm telling them, listen, here's what happens. The reason why people leave church is because you have all of this doubt and you never brought it to Jesus. You never brought it to the right people. You just simply kept it and you kept your belief that this was just a list of do's and don'ts and you're not happy with it. So might as well just find something else. The moment you feel the keys in your hands and a job that brings you a couple of dollars a week, now you're a big time. So you can make your own decisions and things. You got to own your faith. Because when you bring those questions, guess what? Christ brings proof. Do you remember Thomas? He had those questions, he had those doubts. And what did Jesus do? He brought the proof and said, here it is, Thomas. Touch my hands. Touch my side. And it's in that beautiful moment that, that, that Thomas felt that his faith got stronger because proof was there. Ask and you shall what, church? Receive. Knock and the door will be open we got to understand that when our kids doubt it is not a sign of weak faith it is just simply a sign of them owning their faith and the responsibility on what it is to be a christ follower the conversation this conversation is so important to many of us why because there are some of you here <clears throat> you might not be a young adult you might not be a, a teenager might not be a junior higher you might not be even a child But there are many of you here who you feel today that you are still not worthy of God's love. You're still not worthy of his forgiveness. You're still not worth his time. And guess what? You are correct. We are not worthy of anything of that. But it is the gift of grace that fills you with his love. Oh, come on, somebody. It is the gift of grace. That, that, that just overflows with love and kindness over you. For God so loved you that he gave his begotten son, his only begotten son. There's another scripture that I love that says that you, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Christ died for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. 
His love is poured over you gracefully if you receive it. So let's talk about how the purpose of the law helps us understand our freedom from the law. Now, last week I mentioned that oftentimes when it's talk about the law, it talks about the entire book of the Bible. And there are times where it talks about the law, it talks about the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. So here are the Ten Commandments. This, are the, this is the law of Moses found in the second book of our Bible, in the book of Exodus. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read them to you. This is commandment number one. I am the Lord, your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. You shall not make thyself engraven in any graven thing, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above on the earth beneath, nor of those things that are in the waters under the earth. You shall not adore them, nor serve them. Two, you should not make the take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Three, Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. Four, honor your father and your mother. Happy Mother's Day. Five, you shall not kill. Six, you shall not commit adultery. Seven, you shall not steal. Eight, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And ten, you should not covet your neighbor's goods. See, the law was given because of man's transgressions or acts of disobedience against God. Let's look at verse 19 in, in, in Galatians chapter 3. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions or the disobedience of people till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. This is speaking about Christ. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Everybody say with me, mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. It's the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. Everybody say that with me. Certainly not. For if there has been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness or right living, would have been by the law. See, part of the reason the law was given was to restrain, to stop humanity from destroying themselves. This is what the law says. I mean, if you look at those, those are good things to follow. Those are good rules to follow. And before the seed com comes, or, or, or when before Christ had come to this earth, these were the rules that people follow so they would not destroy themselves and what did it do it reveals god's holy standard again this is the analogy of that mirror it points out what is wrong with us and what we should do see in other words the law of god's rule the law was god's rules to live and to keep them close to our heart it was the standard so that we would not hurt one another and and, and miss the mark until the messiah had come Romans 7, verses 21 to 25, also shows us that we are in need of a Savior because we cannot uphold this law. Uphold this law. This is Romans 7. Don't turn there. It will be, it'll be on your screen. Romans 7, 21 to 25. This is uh, Paul speaking again. And it says, so I find <clears throat> this law at work, although, here's why we can't uphold this law, 
although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Anybody know what, what Paul is talking about? Yes, anybody know, right? You want to do good, but boy, evil is right there next to you. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. This is the next verse. But I see another law at work in me. And what are they doing, church? Help me out. What are they doing? Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. All right, we got to read that all together. Ready? What a wretched man I am. Just think about this. Every single day we have these two huskies, you know, big dogs, and they're constantly at battle with one another. And let me tell you, whichever dog you feed the most will be the strongest one to win every single battle. So what are you feeding? You're feeding, feeding uh, the, the sin in your life or you're feeding the spirit in your life. So we are, it says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will? Who will rescue me from such a sinful man that I am? What a wretched man I am. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms here in the house. We are messed up people. Isn't that right, moms? We are messed up people. Come on, moms, help me out. Aren't we a messed up generation? We are a mess of people. We sure are. Who can save us from this mess in our lives? Verse 25. Here are the good news. Are you ready for it? Let's all read it together. Thanks be to God who did. Oh, you got to read it louder. Come on. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Thank God for Jesus Christ that he rescued us from such a wretched pe person that I am. So as the law was meant to prepare us for the Messiah, it was given until the seed, Jesus, would come. It isn't the law. The law, it, 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 it isn't that the law is revoked when Jesus came, on the contrary, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. He came to complete its purpose. Instead, the law of Moses is no longer our ground. When you come into this building, we don't give you a list of do's and don'ts. Why? We've seen this before. Ancient times, according to Paul, the law was, and we read it, delivered. The Mount of Sinai, or Sinai, by the angels. If you remember that whole um, uh, scene in, 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 the, in the moment of Moses when he went up to the mountain and he saw a hand write and carve the Ten Commandments upon these rocks. Those angels were as mediators. They were the go-between Moses and God. Moses needed a mediator between himself and God. We don't need a mediator between us and Jesus. He is our mediator. He is. It is salvation in Jesus by faith, receiving this promise. Somebody say amen. Is the law evil? No, it's not. Is it opposing of God's promises? No, it's not. 
It prepared us for the Messiah. The problem with the law is it's an inability to give us strength to desire it and to keep it. The law doesn't give life. It says if it did, then that's all that we would need. But it didn't. The law of Moses brings no life. It simply states the command, tells us to keep it. And it also tells us the consequences if we break that command. What did we learn last week? That we are under the curse. See, the law stopped people, once again, from destroying each other and to bring peace, some sort of peace, among the land. But the law does not save itself. Moms, how many of you have ever given the list of do's and don'ts to your sons and your daughters? The list, but it is up to them to look at that list and make the decision for themselves. Make that decision to receive a promise that you told them, mija, son, daughter, there's something that I see in you, but you can only achieve it by your own decision and to keep it and to, and to keep it until that promise comes, which is only found in Jesus Christ. Picture this in verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So Paul pictures this uh, scene as, uh, just think about it for me, picture uh, of an imprisonment. Uh, um, The bars in the cell is a sin in our lives and it has kept us confined, has kept us inside. The scripture, the law puts us in this prison and the prison points out our sinful conditions. So we sit in prison in sin and the law can't help us the law simply puts us there in the first place sin is personified as the jailer keeping sinners in there under their control and they cannot break free some might say well pastor let me be honest with you i am not a prisoner of sin all right there's the simple uh simple way to prove it stop sinning Most of us simply just justify what we are doing. If you cannot stop sinning, if you have a record of sin, then you and I are imprisoned by sin. You have broken the law. When the law drives us to the point of despair, let that drive you a little more further and right into the arms of Jesus for forgiveness. Matthew 11, 28, you have to turn there, but Jesus says, come unto me. All who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you, what church? Rest. It is only our faith in Jesus that breaks us out of that confinement of sin. The law of Moses shows us the problem. And God's standards, it cannot save us. Only Jesus can bring salvation to our soul. So think about it for a second. You're inside of this prison. This prison of sin is strong. It is very very strong. We can't see out. We can't see in. There's no chance for a jailbreak. But then our representative, our lawyer, our Jesus himself comes and says, I will pay for their redemption. I will pay their ransom. I will give myself. I will give it all for them. And that's exactly what he did on the cross 
of Calvary. He paid for your sins and he paid for mine. And how many of you say, praise be the Lord for that. Amen. When the uh, prosecutor accuses Christ and says, you're not being just, you're not being fair. He will simply point out that your prison sentence was completely paid for by his blood on the cross of Calvary. Praise be to Jesus for dying on the cross for your sins and for mine. So let us continue. Verse 23, the law of Moses. And Paul uh, connects it to as a tutor, a guardian that brings us to Christ. So this is verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept, by a, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Everybody say that with me. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Justified means to be made right. But after faith has come, we, no long, we are no longer under a tutor. So the question is, how did the law guard us? Well, it protects us by showing us the heart of God, by showing us the best way to live, by showing us... Uh, what is approved or disapproved among men in the eyes of the Lord. It protects us by providing this foundation of civil law. And in some ways and more, that's how the law kept a guard of us. See, the law of Moses prepared us to come to Jesus. It revealed the character and the way it exposes our sin. It was that mirror in our lives. See, church, the purpose of the law of Moses fulfilled was fulfilled when we it's fulfilled when we stop trying to justify ourselves and we come to the faith of Jesus Christ. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I need a savior. Yes, I am nothing without him. Until you come to that knowledge that you cannot do it on your own, it doesn't work. But the Lord, our Lord Jesus would always be right there standing, ready to move when you say, come and forgive my sins. Forgive every single one of them. The whole purpose of the law is to bring us to Jesus. You look at it and you said, yeah, look, I am messed up. You look at it and you say, yes, this, yes, correct, correct, yes. I need the Lord. See, that's why if there is any time that we present a law or, 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 or anything that has to do with a list, it is always presented to point us to Jesus. It is never presented to judge one another and to point each other our fingers and say, you know, you don't do this, you don't do that, we don't do that. No, no. The law that the way that we want to use is just what Paul is teaching here. It's just simply a tutor. It points us to the need of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what it is. It's there to point you to Jesus. We don't use the law to judge and make faces when someone makes a mistake, but instead we use it so that we can point people to Jesus Christ. It is only in Jesus that we find our salvation. And Paul continues to preach this message about pointing people to the right gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The way to Jesus presented by the law is to show people that they cannot fulfill it. It is a long list of things. It is tough. It is hard. But you need to look outside of just keeping the law and find righteousness greater than anyone can ever offer, can only offer in Jesus. I love what this commentator wrote. He said, Satan would have us prove ourselves holy by comparing us to the law. That's what Satan would do. He would have us prove ourselves holy. Yes, I am holy because I do this, I do this, I do this. I deserve heaven. But God gave us the law to prove that we are sinners. Do you catch that? We don't look at the law and just simply say, yes, I am holy because look at what I am doing right. No, God brought the law so that it can prove that you and I are sinners and we need Jesus Christ to save us from such things. How many of you say amen to that? So we come to a relationship of faith. We no longer live under this tutor. Of course, we remember the behavior it taught us. I, as a teacher, uh, I, as a one that, that knows, you know, about instructing children, uh, I can kind of relate to this because, you know, in some respect, the tutor of the law, eventually, uh, you don't live under that, that rulership or you don't live under that, that uh, dominion anymore. We move on. We don't have to live under such tutor after we get older and we learn the, uh, the rules. We live under Jesus by our faith. We don't have to be reminded constantly of the law, of the law, of the law. Why? Because we are so in love with Jesus that there's no need to. You're so in love with the Lord. A church, Jesus has done so much for me in my personal life. I don't have time to think about messing up. Why? Because I love the Lord so much. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, you're just so in love with Jesus that I don't have time to worship anything else or anyone else. Why? Because I'm so in love with the Lord that all I want to do is worship Him. Is this making sense? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? It's like, I don't have time, Pastor. I don't have time to worship anything else. Why? Because He takes all of my time to worship Him in everything. You know, I, I know it might be because I am a musician and I constantly have music in my head and, and, and it doesn't stop. Any other musicians know what I'm talking about? It just doesn't stop. It just doesn't stop. I'm humming. I am knocking. I'm drumming. I'm thinking. Uh, sometimes, let me I'll be honest with you, sometimes I ride in the car with the music off because it's like, okay. But man, it's just, just worship inside of you. There's just no time to worship there's no, not that there's no time, but there's no other desire to worship anything else. Why? Because I am so in love with Christ. I'm so in love with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> I, I, I don't take the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because I love Jesus so much. I don't want to take him for granted. He has done so much for me. While yet I was a sinner, Christ died for me, church. I don't have time. I don't have time to, 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 to take his name in vain. I remember to keep holy the Sabbath, to come to church and honor him. Why? Because I love him so much. It's not an option. It's just something that I love to do. I don't have to be reminded of it. In, in my classroom, 
when I first started teaching, my very first year, 18, 19 years ago, the first thing that I was taught was you got to write the rules and post them in your classroom. Remember that, Tabitha? You got to write the rules. You got to write. And, and since there are 10 in the Bible, let's write 10 of them, right? So there we go. Thou shalt not chew gum and put it under the desk. Thou shalt not run with your feet or, or arms. I don't know. You know, just, and so I did. That was the first thing before preparing any lesson, before doing anything else. That's exactly what I did. I wrote the rules and guess what? I posted them somewhere where the kids would see them. All the kids, especially the troublemakers. I put, I put it a little bit right there on their desk. I put it right. Oh, they're troublemakers out there. Yeah. Don't look around because, you know, don't look around. But I had them there. And anytime anyone broke the law, man, I would point to it. Hey, hey, law. Everybody, let's all repeat it. Rule number three. Rule number. And they're like robots. Rule number three. I will not put gum in my neighbor's hair. And guess what? Everyone got the consequence. Why? Because someone broke the law. Someone broke the rule. And I'll be honest with you, my classroom lived in fear of the consequences. Why? Because recess was at the end of the day. And if someone broke one rule, guess what? Everybody didn't get recess. Everybody. By the way, the 10, 15 minutes that we give our kids a recess study show those are the greatest minutes in a child's life in order for them to come back and learn some more. So guess what? I am a, I am a whole believer, uh, what is it, a, a, whole, a believer, a whole heart believer, whatever it is, of giving them some time for them to scream, yell, and run outside. Why? Because they're going to come back and they're ready for some more learning. But there I was with my 10. And guess what? It was my first year of teaching. And I wanted to set the ground rule. So guess what? I didn't do 10. I did 15. I even made some up. Thou shalt sharpen that pencil counterclockwise. I don't know. Just, just, just think that I knew that our, I taught fourth graders. How old are fourth graders? 10, 10-year-old. These are 10 years. They've been in this world for 10 years. And here I am giving them this list of rules. Can I, can, can I tell you something? My kids fail every single day. They broke every single rule every day. And then I got wiser and I said, grab the rules, broke them. I said, boys and girls, I have no rules in this classroom. But what I do have is a relationship that I want to build of trust and love. Because I love you, I respect you. And because you are respected and loved, I expect the same thing for me, that you respect me and love me. And so now my kids don't run in the classroom, not because there's a rule, but because there's an expectation of respect and love that we have for one another. And let me tell you something. In my history of 19 years of teaching, I have but one time sent somebody to the office because it was a need. But other than that, there was a mutual respect of love and grace to give to our children. I don't know about you, but I want to live under the grace and the promise of Jesus Christ. Anybody else know what I'm talking about?
Anybody know what I'm talking about? I honor, and as, as I asked the band to come up, I honor and I respect my father and my mother, not because it's a law, but why? Because I am in so in love of Jesus that he changed my heart from the inside out. And if Christ forgave me of my sins and the wrong that I've been doing, I too can live in mutual respect and forgiveness for one another. I've forgiven my dad who I've never met before in my life. I've forgiven him. I forgive whatever the story, whatever it is that has happened between my mom and him, I've forgiven him. As a matter of fact, I believe with all of my heart that he will be a saved man and I will meet him in heaven. I've forgiven him. Forgiven him. I've forgiven him. I don't kill. Why? Because there's a consequence of living in a prison cell for the rest of my life? No. I don't kill. You know why? Because I am in so in love of Jesus who says, here's life and life everlasting. I'm in so in love with the Lord that there's no need to be reminded. I don't, I, I don't do the rest of these things. Why? Because I am so in love with the Lord that I hold my marriage to a standard. I don't commit adultery. I don't steal. I don't bear witness against my neighbor. I don't covet my neighbor's wife. I don't covet my neighbor's goods, even though they just got a brand new truck. But anyways, I, I don't covet them. I don't covet them. Why? Because I am so in love with the Lord that nothing else matters. It is the grace of God it has given me. Jesus says this. I summarize the entire law in this two simple things. Love God and love people. Period. If you love God and you love people, none of these things will take control of your life. You live freely in the grace of God. Think about a tutor as a custodian. A custodian was not a teacher, but a slave whose special task was to look after a child. He exercised a general supervision over the child's activities. It was his responsibility to bring him to the teacher who would give him the instructions of life. When the child was grown, he doesn't... Go, he doesn't do away with the discipline and the lessons he gained from the tutor, but he also doesn't live under the tutor any longer. See, this is our relationship with the law of God. We learn from it. We remember our lessons from it, but we don't live under the law anymore. Did I obey that? Did I do that? Is this correct? Is this not we are too busy thinking about the Lord that we say, I, I am going to live a life where I do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to live a life that I don't want to bring any heartache to my God. Why? Because I love Him so much. Do you understand the difference, church? It is a love relationship, not a rule-following relationship. It is a love relationship between God and His, before the Creator and His creation. It is, are you in love with Jesus enough to make a difference in your life and in the life of your children? Are you in love with Jesus so much? Because it is in Him, it is by faith that we find our identity in Jesus Christ. 
Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through what church? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Don't be content in just dipping a bit into who Jesus is. A person who is fully immersed in Christ, not sprinkled, not just a part of or dipped in. No, when a person is submerged, immersed, excuse me, under the water, you don't even see them anymore. All that you see is the water. <laughs> see, when you're baptized into Christ, we don't see you anymore. You don't see me anymore. We see Jesus. We see Jesus. Another way of expressing this immersion is to put on Christ. Put on Christ. In the original language, this phrase had the idea of literally putting on a suit of clothing. So when you put on Christ, we clothe ourselves with the identity of Christ. No longer do I live, but Jesus lives in me. Somebody say amen. See, we have equal standing before God. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That was huge during that time huge because of all the tension and the racial uh, 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 situation that was going on and the prejudice between one another Paul state the facts in Christ in Christ let me say that one more time in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither slave nor free in other words no it doesn't matter your social status there's neither male nor female in other words you uh, males are as important as females, and females are important as males. We are both look into the in the sight of God the same. Somebody say amen to that. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Please don't let anyone twist this the context of this verse please do not let anyone twist the context of this verse especially the part of there is neither male nor female there is a difference between us we have different roles yes there is but in the sight of god both men and women are equal somebody said amen to that let me finish with this. See, the issue is not, are you under the law? Are you a Jew or Gentile? Are you a slave or free? Are you a man or a woman? The issue is, are you in Christ? See, when we are in Christ, we find our eternity because we are sons and daughters of God. We find our place in society because we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. We find our place in history because we are part of God's plan, uh, the God, God's plan of the ages, related from Abraham all the way to Jesus. It enables us to answer all of humans' basic question or the most asked question in history. Who am I? Well, if you're in Christ, you are a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, of our God. Somebody say amen. In Christ, you are united to all the redeemed of the people in past, present, and future. In Christ, 
you can discover your identity in Christ. You can find your purpose in Christ. You can come home to be with our Lord forever and ever. And all of God's people said, amen. Please stand to your feet here this morning.